What's up, mga kachika? I'm Julian, and this is the first episode of Silak Talks. Chatting here with me today is my co-host, Sophia Perea. Say hi. Hello, everyone. So, thank you, Julian. As uh, she said, I am Sophia. Nice to meet you. And in our first episode, we'll be discussing women in male-dominated industries. And what a perfect time to talk about this. Because it is actually related to our PBL theme this semester, which is about gender equality. So, I'm guessing that each and every one of us at one point in our lives has um, experienced gender inequality or stereotyping in our day-to-day lives. It can be really discouraging for a lot of us because there isn't much support for people going through these types of things. Where an example could be my class population would be mostly of boys or any competitions I join would be consisting of boys because I'm pursuing software development. Um, how about you, Sophia? Um, any experiences you'd like to share? Mm, well, similar to you, I do plan on entering a male-dominated field. Um, you know, I plan on pursuing a degree in the culinary arts. And uh, surprisingly for an industry that's in hospitality as well, it is still male-dominated. I guess because the stereotype goes that men are able to fare better in harsh settings of the kitchens and stuff like that. Um, and it's crazy to think that in America and across the world, at least 70 to 90% of um, chefs or people in the culinary industry are actually men. So yeah, um, I think at least like 10% only of women are holding executive positions as well. So imagine that, that's like they'll earn 22% less than their male counterparts. And I find that personally very discouraging because It's scary to think that there's this added layer of stress or an added push that I have to put in when I try to make my way in this industry. Um, Though I'm not yet in culinary school, I do fear for that when I get there. So, yeah. But, you know, luckily, we do have a very amazing guest speaker here today that can help us talk about these issues. So, um, we'd like to welcome uh, Ms. Sabrina Basilio, everyone. Okay, so I'll just give a quick background. Um, Ms. Sabrina, would you like to say anything first, though? Oh, um, hello. Hello. Thank you for okay. tuning in to this wonderful episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'll just give a brief background on, um, well, Ms. Sabrina. So, uh, she's a writer and actress with professional experience in teaching fine arts classes and she is the current Director of Communications at Project Sulong, or Sulong PH, and has worked with organizations like the Lahambini that aim to shine a light on gender issues and empower women in male-dominated fields um, and conservative societies such as our own. So her written works have been produced by Tanghala Nateneo, staged in the Cultural Center of the Philippines, and published in artistic literar- literary folios such as The Heights. Um, she has also contributed to When in Manila and Summit Publishing Company for features, lifestyle, and news writing. Um, as an actress, actually, she's proudly taken on roles of tough women fighting for justice, which of course is very relevant to our topic today, and for which she also received the 2018 Loyola Schools Awards for the Arts and Theater Performance. So she wishes to continue pursuing excellence in storytelling as an educator, and in fact, was my teacher at my previous school. So again, let's all give a hand to Miss Sabrina Basilio. Welcome, Pa. Hi. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Wow. 
<laughs> typical celebrity response to any introduction. <laughs> um, thank you for having me. I'm excited for everything we're going to talk about today. So, yeah. Lovely to have you today, Miss Sabrina. Welcome to Select Talks. You being here, able to share and talk about your experiences and give advice would be such an amazing and great help to the community because it would give other people the courage and strength to pursue their dreams despite gender stereotypes and other stuff. So let's go on with the questions, shall we? Yes. So, um... In your background, you've you've um, experienced gender inequality, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yes. would you like to give any direct experiences you've had um, dealing with gender inequality in your field? Mm-hmm, sure. Um, I am in the arts uh, and education sector, and often the integration of that because um, I'm trying to find the space between arts community development and education and it's a relatively new pursuit um, trying to look for an arts-based approach to for example trauma or trying to find um, research-based approach to arts you know those um, intersections they're quite delicate and because they're relatively new fields there are also relatively few mentors relatively few professionals that we can I personally can um, ask for advice from most of them are males most of them are male coded bodies because they are usually the ones who have easier access to relatively new schools of thought and so I suppose there's gender inequality in the sense that although a lot of women like Sophia said a lot of women are into the arts by nature are into that nurturing <laughs> um, typically stereotypically feminine um, what we call them line of work it's still the people in position ma- eh, sorry let me rephrase this the people in, with decision making power in the positions to for example change school policy, uh, policies you know um, update them according to your research they're still males so we are in the room but we don't have seats at the table we don't have like Sophia said executive decision-making power we don't have immediate our concerns are not immediately brought up as opposed to the concerns of our male counterparts whether in the education sector the art sector or the community development sector so that's one example i think of gender inequality second is you know in in the theater arts industry there are still very few female directors still very few female playwrights that are being staged there are lots of theater festivals that stage new and upcoming experimental works but uh, most of the people who decide which works get published or get staged or which works get the most budget are still men. So naturally, most of the people that they cast are also males because of um, the circles that they're immediately, they have access to. So that is um, one example of gender inequality, but also it's immediately intersecting with class as well. So not only are we experiencing inequality in terms of there's more males compared to females but also females who belong to a lower class or don't have the same educational background as certain upper middle class males do also don't have access to theater arts so kadalasan for example 
um, ang ginigiit ng mga ng mga theater professionals, the veterans as we we can call them, ay kung gusto mong makapasok sa industriya, you need to enroll in workshops, you need to develop your skill set. But each workshop is taught by a man and therefore trauma-informed practices you know sensitive practices for example in in the theater like there's there's going to be a kissing scene or there's going to be a lot of physical scenes when it's the case often is when it's a male director hindi hindi immediate sa kanya yung sensitivity of the environment that sometimes even if it's an artistic space we still need consent we still need to break down the power dynamics of a male actor and a female actor. When it's a male director in charge, it's not so immediate to them to consider those things. So, yes, that is a very long, winded answer that I just gave to the first question. But basically, the answer is yes, there's a lot. There's a lot of it. Mm, uh, you mentioned, Paul, that uh, you're trying to look into including trauma-related um, issues into arts. But yeah, it's Trump a taboo to talk about it. Yeah, it's a taboo to mm-hmm. talk about it normally, and you're trying to change that. And I think that's absolutely amazing. But how are you able to convince um, authorities? Um, let's say um, old thinking or old old thinking people into looking into these types of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question, and I think that it's also a case to case basis because there are. Um, traditionally minded and um, I guess there are people in power decision making power that come from a different background and context than we do but it's also difficult to generalize them into close minded uncompromising people because there are um, for example teachers and principals and um, executives that are open to changing their policies so I guess uh, the more direct answer would be to remain open as well that although there's initial resistance if we keep using the same language if we insist on letting stories be heard if we continue with the small decisions then at one point these close-minded people most likely will reconsider their positions so I think it's more of the road towards a more trauma-sensitive, gender-sensitive etiquette that we're seeing now or we're seeing more of today, it was paved by small decisions and small conversations in the house, quiet, private conversations between friends, sometimes difficult ones, especially when they're people that we don't initially agree with. I think those are important, those individual decisions and individual choices because they all eventually add up to a communal shift, right? But also, initiating institutional changes, so putting pressure on policymakers in the workplace perhaps that's approaching the human resources manager, HR. Um, In the school, it's maybe approaching the guidance counselor or the principal. So these people have the power to change it immediately to an institutional level instead of it, instead of us waiting constantly for history to take its course, right? So I think there's importance in the individual decisions, in the individual conversations, but ultimately we also need to steer our focus towards putting pressure on um, how to make this these changes institutional and cultural 
so that it changes on a larger historical um, sustainable scale. So yes, um, I hope I hope I gave a clear answer. <laughs> so um, you mentioned that you that people will just have to keep pushing their views, their ideas in order to be heard. So what do you think can be a motivation for someone to keep pushing forward? Because it can be really discouraging if you're constantly met with discouragement or a bunch of no's in your face. So what do you think can be um, a way to inspire someone to just keep pushing, to make their voice be heard? Mm-hmm. And also to add to that, there's um, pressure from older people, more experienced people. Um, they tend to infantilize and delegitimize our points of view because of lack of experience, because of yes, because of lack of experience. And um, chronological timeline says that because I know more, therefore I am the more correct one. Um, I think one motivation would be to resist that narrative and to not fall into that psychological trap of because I know less, I therefore have less power and less agency because that's not the case. I think um, for me personally, it's really helped me to read a lot, read, keep reading and keep looking for anecdotes of how history changed um, because like I, I mentioned previously, you know, history, it's its really not, doesn't happen overnight. It, it's, a, it's a crab that's scuttling. It's, it's stalactites and stalactites exchanging little droplets of water. And then eventually over time, oh, it's different. Um, how do we keep doing that? Making those incremental steps, looking back, um, remembering who... What was that small decision that somebody made before me that allowed me to make the decision I'm capable of making today? For me, maybe that's Tandang Sora. Maybe that's Risa Hontiveros. Maybe that's... Um, who else? Who else is a good example? The suffragettes. All of the, the women who have stuck with their decision, I would love to honor them with the decisions I'm making. And that is helping me. Um, move forward with whatever it is that I'm fighting for history just looking back um, honoring the people who came before us bringing them with us so that's one Um, so there's looking back and then there's looking around there's looking at the efforts that are being made now I think in the pandemic and dami nang nag-organize youth organizations Um, there's some more conscious effort to be more civically engaged to um, to initiate voters education campaigns and just generally to get everybody else to care and these are signs that things are changing so I suppose if we look around us and pay attention to what the community is doing instead of just paying attention to how much farther we have to go, then we shift our focus away from us, us individuals, and see the community and see that we're actually taking the necessary steps towards healing as a community rather than 
we have a long way to go because we'll always have a long way to go. Our goals will always change over time anyway. Back then, it was just getting women to vote. And now it's really eradicating impunity for sexual harassment, for example. The goals change over time. So the motivations will also always change. It's committing yourself to that ongoing mission all the time. Again, not sure if I answered that properly, but <laughs> you interviewed me, so those are my answers. <laughs> yeah. They're very, uh, thank you very much for that, but um, they're very good answers. And I'd just like to add before, um, Julian, I'd just like to add now, um, I do appreciate how you tackled both the cultural and the policy making aspect of this. Yeah. Um, and I do agree, like, um, as much as we do have a need to look back at what the pioneers have done before us for this movement um, at the same time it kind of clashes with that um, I think deeply ingrained um, stigma or rather ideology in Philippine culture that's like um, dahil mas matanda yung person they instantly are more knowledgeable on topics um, even topics such as this but that's really not the case so I do think I do agree that we have to look at both the current movement as well as what has worked over time. And I do appreciate how both of those do work towards the same thing, even though the goals may change as well. Yeah, yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. So committing yourself to these goals, you may be affiliated or you may have worked with organizations with the same cause. Um, What motivates you to just keep working with those organizations because it can be really discouraging and all because there would be people yeah. saying oh you're wasting your time oh this is gonna be for nothing because no one's gonna listen so what makes you keep going what makes you reach out or what or yeah what makes you want to keep working with organizations like us who wants or who's advocating for gender equality it's really the the people the community that's built by an advocacy when we organize around that mission for better change instead of organizing around our hurt then it becomes regenerative rather than punitive it becomes restorative justice instead of calling out we call in we come together and we find a commonality that binds us together instead of looking for something that has continued to separate us we currently live in a world that's working really hard to separate us from each other. We have an administration that is trying to, I guess, peddle this narrative that we Filipinos are pasaway, we Filipinos are drug abusers, we're hopeless, we're um, we're bound to hurt each other. But the truth is, we Filipinos, you know, throughout time, throughout so many other histories of, you know, colonization, we have, we have survived, you know? I mean, not to glorify that resilience narrative, but we are not what our leaders are telling us we are. We are so much more than that. And that's really what I learned coming into these organizations, like this one community I'm working with, Sulong Philippines. We're a referral service for victim survivors of sexual violence. What we do is we try to link them to pro bono legal aid, um, psychosocial aid, temporary shelter, and we're, try- we're working towards giving them medical aid as well. So getting them prescriptions for medication, 
etc. And it can be, it's very exhausting, especially since there's a huge number of students who have experienced harassment and don't know where to turn to for institutional support. They can't even approach their own parents, their own peers, because of the taboo, the discrimination, and they can't approach teachers who are supposed to be people who are guiding them towards, you know, healing and recovery. So it, it can be very disheartening, especially when you see the numbers. And because I've been in this for more than a year now, I've I can see the progress, um, the numbers. Sometimes they spike, sometimes they go down. So it's really a very, it's an emotionally taxing endeavor, um, to say the least, right? But when you focus on how much farther we have to go, like I said previously, then it it's going to lead to burnout, like all things. But because everybody else around me in Sulong has been working really hard, not only for what the community is fighting for, which is, you know, eradicating that culture of protecting abusers and harassers, we're also working hard towards protecting each other because we are all aware of how difficult this work is we're all aware of the demands of this kind of work and how much farther we need to go. So there's an exerted effort on everybody else's part to kind of support each other. So we're not just working for the organization. We're aware that we have other commitments outside of that organization. We're aware that we're also women in our own contexts. I am from, I'm an Ilocano. I'm in Nueva Vizcaya. And I am... Heavily, you know, I'm anti-Marcos. I don't believe that his job as a president trumps all the atrocities that his government committed. But because I'm in Ilocos and Marcos is Ilocano, a lot of people in my family are pro-Marcos. And it's so that adds to the discrimination that I experience, not only as, you know, um, a young citizen of the nation, but as a woman, they easily discount my opinion because, you know, I'm a woman. Um, so these organizations, they've really helped me kind of work smart at experiences like that because they are aware of that context. I'm not just working. I'm not just a member of this organization. I'm also experiencing that in my hometown. I'm also experiencing some kind of discrimination in the other aspects of my life. I'm also a daughter. I'm also a sister. I'm also all these other roles I have that are important. I'm also a student. I'm a graduate student of UP and it's very difficult. So when you're in an organization that understands that all of these different roles are informing your advocacy and they're not removed from your advocacy, they're not distractions from your advocacy, it becomes a more respectful, sensitive space. So if we can take care of each other that way, then we can better teach to other people hey, I have an experience of this very difficult thing, but because we all respect each other, then we can also respect each other. It has that domino effect. So now I'm a more understanding daughter, even if I have pro-Marcos relatives. Um, I'm capable of respecting them more and opening up conversation with them more because I have experience of that in my organization. I think it's a very feminist lens if you think about it, that openness to being wrong, that openness to... A difficult conversation. These are things that I didn't learn in any classroom, but in these organizations, these advocacy-based organizations. So 
basically what I'm saying is if you can join a feminist organization, a advocacy-based organization, do it. It's going to change your life. So, yeah. Uh, before I add, or before po, we go for the next question, I just like to add that um, it's amazing how these organizations can just create a safe space and somehow a plan for everyone or anyone who goes through these types of things. It's hard to push past stereotypes to actually see what the person is and all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, you mentioned po in the first question that you um, are into the arts or you have a love for theater. So, do you have any advice for people who are going through or who are struggling to commit to their own passions during the pandemic? Wow. <sighs> I yung imposter syndrome go, it is kicking in because I myself, you know, I'm struggling with my own passions even if <laughs> I sound like I I have it all together and um I know what I'm saying. Really the truth is every day I have to ask myself if it's if it's worth it and I think that honesty really what has helped me is the honesty of my peers when I ask them, you know, I'm having such a hard time believing that telling this story is actually going to change anything. And they tell me that they're feeling the exact same way. We don't have to find a solution right away. Just hearing that we're not alone in our experience of struggle is already such a great motivation. Um, so that said, what advice, right? <laughs> Okay, and this is something that I sort of only am, I'm only starting to accept now during the pandemic. Um, an important part of the conversation to change things is your silence. Because imagine being stuck in a cave and so there's no light and um, finally the lining of the cave of the wall it, it cracks and it collapses and it becomes really chaotic because there are rocks and dust and all these other debris and it's just really it's it's chaotic and it it it's in fact it's dangerous you know it's life threatening we're currently in that you know the, the rocks collapsing that's what this pandemic is the walls are crumbling and right now we can't really see anything because the dust has kind of hazed our vision but in that chaos we're making a clearing the cave is going to open and we can eventually leave and the light's going to come in but we just have to wait for the dust to settle. And if not, we have to make sure that the dust settles in our own way. Maybe we fan it. Maybe, maybe I don't know, whatever it is that you do to kind of make the dust settle faster, we try to do it. But how do you do it, right? In this pandemic, how do you... How do you continue in a world that's working so hard to tell you that it's useless to continue. It's kind of like that. Trying to force the dust to settle when it has its own timeline. That's what it, it feels like. And sometimes what I'm learning now in the pandemic is that it's really just a matter of waiting and holding out for whoever else is there who is also waiting with you and just holding yourselves together. 
holding on to the idea that eventually the dust is gonna go away and the light's gonna come in and then the way out is gonna be there and we can all just file in organized happy and just leave like it didn't happen I know it's a very abstract emotional picture but that's what's kept me you know with doing theater it's really difficult because it's what gives it joy is the reaction of the people the live reaction of the people being in the same space as them and knowing that your language is changing their lives your voice your movement is changing someone's life making them make that decision that they didn't want to make. And how do you do that at home, in front of a screen, when the audiences are boxed into these little faces that you can barely see? And instead of being preoccupied with your lines, you're preoccupied with setting up your own lights and taking care of your costume and servicing the audience instead of focusing on the truth of the story. How do you believe in the power of something that unfamiliar and that um, kind of parang pilay na version of what you really want to do. Um, it's really that silence and stepping back and holding out for whoever else is there waiting with you. Um, I think these feminist organizations and advocacy organizations, they are what, that's what they are for me. Um, other people in the dust holding me and I'm also holding them back. So really it's the community. And for, for us writers, artists, um, passionate people in the arts or artivists, you know, activists whose, I guess, um, active citizenship is expressed through artistic creative means. It's what you say is important, but the moment you step back and provide a platform to somebody else who also has something to say is equally important when someone is on the phone crying about how frustrated they are that they can't go back to the stage, what's important is also you just receiving that person's cries instead of looking for something to say in response. Sometimes the silence is the conversation. I'm saying this to the men. (laughs) Um, Men, sometimes you don't have to say anything. You just give the platform and let the women speak. Sometimes women, we have to stop talking and let our queer people speak up because their experience of gender discrimination is very different from our experience of gender discrimination. Um, Upper middle class women, sometimes we have to stop talking and let the lower class women speak. The indigenous women speak. Um, Black women, yellow women, and other women who have several layers of marginalization. That silence, that waiting is important too. So um, that's me trying to run for the president of the country. <laughs> um, I'm going to end my answer there now because I Thank you for holding space for me, by the way. Oh, that was an amazing and beautiful analogy, Paul. That 
even sometimes where you're trying to um, clear away the dust, you might just end up clouding it even more. And you could just you should just wait for it to settle and support others and just yeah. be there with them. Amazing. So um, thank you. <laughs> uh, may I just add as well, Jules? Ano? What do you call this? Um, I noticed as well that in both trying to figure out how to um, sort of support your passion during this pandemic, you know, a time of such great uncertainty, um, I think this also goes for other things such as what a lot of our viewers may be able to relate to in terms of online classes. Definitely, I mean, all of us here, for example, um, we're already in uh, our final year of high school, and yet we've spent two of those years in this online setup. And of course, we're kind of forgetting, um, or we're not going to be able to have that experience that you'd have face-to-face in a- being able to um, talk with your classmates even, from being able to just be feet away from the teacher and all those moments during break or during reports, all that emotion that you're able to see in people's faces that you kind of take for granted um, when it's there. Yeah. Um, I think it also ties into all of it is both um, related to the bonds that we create, we make with people, and the sort of empathy that we have for each other because we can understand each other, and I think we can use that in many conversations, not only for feminism, not only for um, that sort of pain that we have now with our passions, but as well as other things such as mental health and so on. And I think it's a very undermined. Um, part of the whole, I guess, getting awareness for these issues, um, that sometimes just being able to listen to someone or being able to say, I understand, I see you, I hear you, I think that actually has a great impact in and of itself to just wait for a moment and realize that we're not alone in it. So, yeah. You know what that made me realize? That this is about grief. Um and we don't go ahead trying to propose solutions to grief because it's it's like have you seen have you seen Wanda Vision? <laughs> I'm not gonna spoil it, right? You have not, okay? But you have seen. Oh no! So how do I go ahead with this conversation now that I know that not everyone has seen it? But there's this line. I don't mind getting spoiled, but <laughs> okay. It's okay. I'm not gonna say who said it now for those of you who eventually want to watch it. But there's this line from Wanda Vision. Um. Somebody said that grief, what is grief but love persevering? Especially once that thing that you love is not there anymore, but the love that you have for that thing is still there. Where does it go? Where does it belong? It doesn't have space anymore. So you're just overwhelmed with this love that you can't express because the thing that you want to express that love for, whether that's theater or that's culinary arts or software programming or whatever is it that you love that has been taken away from you that's grief and you know sometimes the solution is really just to sit with that love and name it for what it is and yeah i'm getting emotional now (laughs) so maybe we should move forward (laughs) i'm kidding hmm so Just noticing how much, because of the pandemic, how much of experiences we've been stripped, yeah, stripped of. Yeah. A lot of us lost like experience or an emotional growth that could only be attained during face to face. A lot of us here 
could have grown better as people. I certainly did not grow taller, but I didn't get the emotional growth I needed from senior high because it's just different. Um, online takes a toll on mental health because at least because you're just there, you're alone, you're just at your desk, you're at one place, just doing requirements or listening to lectures and all that. Instead of like having a face-to-face setup where you can be there with your classmates if if you're all suffering because of this one teacher this one requirement at least you're there all together as a class yeah. and that's something that not all of us were able to experience and yeah so uh okay let's move on so um uh so in in a lot of industries it's really male dominated but we yeah. have to think that there's also women dominated interest industries um from what i remember po, one of my old teachers told us his experience in college where he was um he was studying to be a teacher and most of his classmates were women so you can really see that teaching or you could say teaching is really women dominated so mm-hmm. with this in mind would you give any what advice would you give to people trying to break stereotypes with the workforce mm-hmm. um, advice right oh my gosh I'm gonna try to keep this clip because I've been going off with my answers <laughs> but I guess the usual it's that we all have masculine feminine energies inside of us that's what eastern philosophy says that's what yin and yang is all about there is a balance of feminine masculine energies in us our pre-colonial societies revered people who could freely express both masculine and feminine energies. We called them the babaylan, and that's where the word bakla comes from. So, in fact, they were our spiritual leaders. We turned to them for advice. We let them read the omens of our lives and decided what to do with our lives based on them because they were capable of cross-dressing, because they were capable of invoking feminine energies even if they were male-coded bodies. So, I think that we need to return to that philosophy or that respect for for people. Um, you know, how do I how do I say this in a <laughs> concise way? I have so many feelings about this. Please forgive me. Um, women have a very different relationship to anger and grief and all the feelings that we're probably feeling in this pandemic. We have different relationships to them as opposed to men do. Anger is something that men are taught to be proud of that makes them more dominating and therefore makes them more capable of becoming leaders of their families. Anger is something that's considered to be not desirable in women. Um, So when women have experiences of anger that make them want to physicalize that anger, whether by throwing things or whatever it is that we do when we're angry, um, tearing pillows apart. I don't know. I've done that once. It's it's great. <laughs> but I felt very guilty because of the internalized misogyny, right? You're a woman. You're not supposed to break things. You're not supposed to be destructive when you're feeling these um, negative feelings, negative according to society. And males are taught otherwise that when they have these positive feelings that have positive responses to these feelings, they're taught to kind of hide them because it's, um, queer people don't have those kinds of experiences because they're already breaking gender norms 
they don't have that kind of experience of anger and grief. They, at least this is according to sociological research. Um, if you read up on Rage Becomes Her and um, Men Explain Things to Me by this writer, Rebecca Solnit, she has this account on why we have to turn to queer people for examples um, of how to control your emotions because they have that they're dealing with both masculine and feminine energies within them so they're not dealing with problems that women have on how to express anger or dissatisfaction in a way that isn't unbecoming of a woman and they don't deal with what men experience because they already are kind of like okay gender norms i don't really care because i don't really i don't subscribe to them anymore anyway we need to practice that more in the workplace in the workplace in 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 school in all of our communities just understanding that these gender norms are what have curtailed our emotional growth they are what's probably responsible for the destruction of the planet because it's it's masculinity that's telling us that we need to keep acquiring 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 and therefore we're destroying the environment and therefore climate crisis and therefore the crisis of young people who are stuck in the pandemic not knowing what to do in their in their teens to their 20s this is supposed to be the best time of my life but i'm stuck at home ah our personal problems are not connected to the problems of the world and that's because of masculinity right there because of our gender norms so really you think that it's not important um fighting gender stereotypes in a workplace it's very important it is the most important thing It is the thing that can probably help us find solutions to the climate crisis, find solutions to domestic abuse, find solutions to terrorism. Because if we overlook these small microaggressions that are gender-based, then they tend to escalate towards these bigger problems like Donald Trump. Like, I'm not going to name all the other male um, leaders out there who are problematic. Look at the best leaders right now. They're all women. Or they're all in touch with their feminine side, like uh, Trudeau, although Trudeau has his problems as well. But I said I was going to give a concise answer, so I'm going to end it at that. <laughs> um, okay, that, was, that actually kind of uh, got me a bit emotional because I love how you related it to um, even our uh, issues such as the climate crisis and and. I think it also has to do with again looking back at our history and what um, I think nowadays there's more conversation on things such as decolonizing our thinking. It's yes. interesting to think that yeah, it's interesting in pre-colonial Philippines and other pre-colonial societies as well. Um, we did in fact have put greater value on well women as well as our uh, uh, queer uh, peers as well, yeah. and. Now, like if you think about it, colonization in and of itself is a very male-dominated thing. It's um, patriar- patriarchal. It's inherently patriarchal. And now that we're starting to have more conversations on how to um, kind of break up, uh, break away from that, we're kind of going back to a part point in the past. Now, again, just stopping for a moment and realizing, well, hey, like. We should love these aspects of human nature instead of trying to just keep on going forward, going forward, build, 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 and so on. Um, 
while at the same time when we do that and if we advance without taking a moment to pause and see how everyone's doing well a lot of people are left behind again um, in different contexts people are marginalized through poverty through uh, the LGBTQ community and women and so on so yeah Thank you for that. In a way, it's like amazing how you mentioned, yeah, the LGBTQ community or the queers, where you can turn to them because you're you're absolutely right. Um, L- the queer community experiences different things from um, women who are being stripped of authority or things like that, where even basic human rights aren't granted to queer communities. And yeah, yeah we should stop trying we should stop having these misogynistic thoughts or we should try we should already stop thinking or having our internalized misogyny yeah mm-hmm. although most of that is also internalized although i like i i consider myself to be a be a proponent of feminist works you know reading works by women listening to music by women and queer women especially but i still struggle a lot with my internalized misogyny too so it's so hard to say we ha- we have to stop it because it's most of these things that we have to stop we don't even know we need to stop or we don't even know is problematic so it's yeah it's really difficult but these conversations, you know, like this, this podcast and having conversations with your teacher after class and looking at old works that used to be considered classic and then asking, you know what, actually, okay, Tennessee Williams is a, he's a great playwright. Um, he's well celebrated. But he, what is what is with the thing with women? Why, why don't any of his female characters have agency? And then suddenly things change, not only for you and your teacher, but everyone else in your classroom. So... I agree with you. Like let's let's all work towards ending this internalized misogyny in all of us, male, female, queer. But we have to do it, you know, together. Wow. <laughs> Dora the Explorer and her motherhood statements. Okay. That's all. Thank you. Okay, actually, Pa, we've covered all of our questions and even some additional ones. And thank you so much for oh. your insights on um, well, just everything. That was amazing and yeah so thank you so much again miss sabrina for joining us on our first ever podcast on such a great topic that we really need to spark more um conversations about even today um you know it was such an honor having you po and we'd just like to ask if you'd have anything you would like to promote or any final message for our audience mm, um well first of all thank you again for for having me. I know you keep saying it's, it's an honor to have me. Sure. But it's also, I'm very honored to be in this first podcast and I'm very excited to follow it and see the next episodes if there are going to be any whether gender-based related or, or not. Um, things I, I want to promote. Huh. Do, do follow <coughs> do follow Sulong Philippines on Facebook, <laughs> Instagram, and Twitter. We're called Sulong. Um, we're, again, I mentioned earlier, we're that organization that's bridging victim survivors of sexual violence to free aid, whatever aid that they need. And we're doing this purely on donation basis. So even if you don't have money... <laughs> To, to donate to the organization, you signal boosting it is going to be of great help. Um, just letting people know that 
we are here, we are guardians. So if you do something that isn't, you know, consensual, we're going to chase after you. <laughs> um, just be scared, um, abusers, perpetrators of abuse, etc. So that's what I want to promote that message. Um, and um, what else? I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. All right, you heard her, guys. Follow or yeah, follow or check out uh, the pages suge- or the pages told. And thank you so much again for tuning into Select Talks. And before we end this podcast, I would like to call on Mila Valencia, Select Boss, Select Organizations President, to give Miss Sabrina her certificate of appreciation. Okay. Hi, Miss Sabrina. Um, thank you for joining and accepting our invite to be the guest of our first podcast. So let me present to you your certificate. Oh, it's so cute. Oh, I want to print it. Again, thank you, Miss Sabrina. And this is your Certificate of Appreciation. This certificate is awarded to Sabrina Basilio for sharing her invaluable knowledge and insights to the Aya Academy community during the Tilakbo Season 1, Episode 1, Women in Male-Dominated Industries, given this 17th day of September 2021, signed by yours truly, Eliza Valencia, along with the Silakbo co-advisors, Sir Vince Gisaraya and Sir Vincent Barcelona. And once again, my name is Julian and this is Silakbo signing off. See you guys in our next episode. Goodbye. Thank you guys so much.